when people say the word podcast, they traditionally think of the audio form. We use this communication a lot in our marketing collateral is that a podcast is more than an audio channel. It's more than just putting up an audio file, an MP3 file, and an RSS feed, and then it's on Spotify, Apple, and everywhere else. We, we kind of view it a little differently where it's more of a communication platform and you get video content, audio, and written content all from that same genuine conversation. This is Podcast Junkies, episode 284. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. Newcomers, it's the one where we seek out the most interesting voices in podcast landia, aka the podosphere, and get them to kick back their heels and talk about their shows and whatever else is on their mind. Last week, great conversation with Eric Johnson. He's the host of Follow Friday. He talks about his time at All Things Digital and the lessons he learned. Lots of valuable insights for podcasters. And it prompted him to create his own small boutique agency as well. And that's something in common that Eric has with this week's guest, Tristan Pellegrino. He's the co-founder of Motion, an agency that helps small marketing teams at B2B technology companies launch a branded podcast in less than 21 days. He's also the co-host of The Recorded Content Podcast, a show for small, scrappy marketing teams who are looking to launch and grow a successful B2B podcast. A lot of you may be thinking, or maybe not thinking, (laughs) maybe I'm the only one. Hey, Harry, don't you have an agency, Fullcast, that does podcast production? What's with bringing on the folks that do the same thing you do? And I made a decision a long time ago that I want to live life from an abundance mindset. And it's in line with some of the changes I'll be making in terms of who I want to work with on the agency side for Fullcast. But I really am tapping into my personal spirituality, and this idea of wanting to work with conscious uh, elevators, people who are elevating the awareness and love on this planet, because uh, we are a planet in need of some help. And I think now's the time. So folks that traditionally would fall into what other people might call (laughs) woo-woo, which is a word that I don't like, but uh, I just want to let those folks know that I speak their language and that I want to help them get their message out as I said, it's time. So that's why, um, and, and even if we were doing the same thing, uh, you'll remember that I had on Harry Morton from Lower Street and a couple of other folks from other agencies, Evo Terra. But I think it's just a testament to the friendliness and the desire for folks in the podcasting industry to help each other out. And so that's what I continue to do. I want to keep doing, and I encourage that to inspire you. If there's a competitor in your space as a podcast host, have you thought of inviting them on? And a shout out to Jason Kabasi, who did this years ago with his uh, Walking Dead podcast. And he invited the host of the the second most popular show. And um, after a while, they ended up having a collaboration together. So you never know what will happen if you just leave open the possibility for those conversations. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlett 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right, and the link will be in the show notes as well. So I enjoyed this conversation. Tristan is an incredibly smart dude, and uh, they've had a lot of success. I'm, I'm excited to share that story of his agency. We talk about launching, running, and growing a podcast, his experience in content creation, And as you heard in the sneak peek at the beginning of the show, why podcasting is more than just an audio channel. As I mentioned, 
this topic of the collaborative nature of the podcasting industry is really important to us both. And we geek out on some of the unique and niche podcast topics we've come across in our individual podcast journeys. And towards the end, Tristan speculates on the future of the industry and what he anticipates in the coming years. And that's something to listen out for. As always, we take great pains to write detailed show notes and you can find them at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 284 for this episode. If you are liking the show, if you're loving the show, I would love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies. I take great pride in reading those out on all the episodes at the beginning, and I don't take it lightly when people take their time to do that. So if you are not using that service, I highly recommend it, ratethispodcast.com. You should have that as your call to action. It just makes things easier for your listeners so they don't have to be working overtime to find out how to leave you a rating and a review. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. It's a tradition I've had since the beginning of the show, and most of the time folks don't use it. But uh, in terms of consistency, I want to keep doing it. It's a way to indicate that you've made it to the end of the episode. You would tweet out the hashtag that I mentioned that I'm only going to mention at the end of the episode. So you'll have to listen all the way through. Enough of the jibber jabber. Let's get into this conversation with Tristan, which I know you'll love. So Tristan Pellegrino, co-founder of Motion, thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Yeah, thanks for having me, Harry. So where's home for you now? Home is in Richmond, Virginia. So folks aren't familiar with that. It's about an hour and a half south of uh, Washington, D.C. And you you grew up in school there? I did. I went to school with James Madison University, which is a little just uh, further west, about two hours from, uh, from Richmond, Virginia. Any notable alumni from James Madison? Good question. Um, Lindsay Zarniak, who is uh, <laughs> ESPN commentator. I'm not sure where she is now. Okay. We have Charles Haley, which is, I think he's a four-time Super Bowl winner. And then uh, Scott Norwood, who's the guy that, that missed one of the field goals for the Buffalo Bills you know, way back in the day. <laughs> Infamous. So, yeah, we have a few folks. That's funny. What's uh, the best-kept secret about growing up there? Growing up in Richmond, best-kept secret is – it has like the best mix of like a, a city component with this nice suburban feel. So now I live in in the suburbs. I have three kids, so I'm on the the west end of Richmond. But it, it's still nice to get downtown every once in a while and experience uh, restaurants and things like that. So uh, it's pretty accessible. It's only about twenty minutes away, so it's a nice spot. So how close are you to living the career dream you envisioned when you were just getting out of college? Career dream? I'm pretty far from what I envisioned I would be doing when I was in college. I started, I always wanted to be a lawyer, and I am nowhere close to uh, to being a lawyer at this point in the game. But I went to school, did the pre-law thing, I had a major in economics, and then at that time... The, the dot-com boom was was escalating and and programming was a big component to, you know, ensuring you got a really good job out of, out of undergrad. So I, I switched to computer information systems and I think it was my junior year. Okay. And I graduated uh, with a degree in CIS and went off to do consulting when I graduated. So very far from being a lawyer. And how much of the dot-com wave did you experience or remember? I was insulated somewhat from it because when I 
so I, I started my career with PricewaterhouseCoopers, which at the time was a big five accounting firm. And I was in the federal practice because I was in Washington, D.C. So a lot of our work didn't really get impacted by the dot-com boom and, and then subsequently the the recession that hit. So the federal work remained intact for the most part. So I, I had a pretty stable working environment, stayed in the federal area for a while before I completely got out of that industry. And then when did you start to have an interest in or see or hear about things that were happening in the world of broadcast? So I, my very first company that I started was selling picnic baskets online. <laughs> my my mom was one of my best customers. She, she bought a couple of those, but, <laughs> but yeah, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I, and I think that goes back to even being a lawyer. Like I wanted to have my own practice. And, sure. and then once I was in undergrad, I had this just taste for really wanting to do my own thing. And and I just went out and I was a consultant for a few years. And I did that just to get experience in, the, in a professional working environment. But uh, right when I got married, I started an online business. I used one of Yahoo's very early website builders. And, and I basically drop shipped picnic baskets online to just learn how all that operated. But uh, out of all the products you could have chosen to start a business with, how did you end up with a picnic basket? I'm curious. I was looking for like a really good margin on a product and they, you know, just the setup, I, I could basically drop ship it to where they would package it at the time. They would wrap it and, and kind of white label the whole process, which is pretty uncommon way back then. Now, sure, sure. You have like the Amazon fulfillment, you know, online shops and, and things like that. It's just a little bit more commonplace now. But uh, yeah, I went and did all that before I decided to start a, a video agency, which was my first venture in, in kind of the, the broadcasting space. And I started that with one of my good friends from college way back in the day, around about the same time that YouTube came on the scene. Was it a direct response to what you were seeing with YouTube or was it, uh, you know, was it inspired by that? It was kind of this combination. It was like a peanut butter and, and chocolate moment. My business partner was had a documentary style background, so he was just graduating from Documentary Center at uh, George Washington University, and and I had this programming background. That's what I graduated with, and and at the time, it wasn't like it is now, where you can just embed a video on a web page. You had to develop a whole Flash application <laughs> to, to actually render video and play it online. So. I came together with him. So he was more on the content side and then I was on the development side. So we enabled companies to, to get videos actually on their website. And, uh, it was, it was really a, you know, start to finish type of process. So we had that programming component as well as the video production side. So that's how we got started. And that was a highly sought after skill set back in the day. <laughs> it was, yeah. Everything was in flash and it was pretty complex and not really standardized either. It was all over the place, and and uh, eventually it was killed by uh, by Mr. Steve Jobs. When he, <laughs> when he said the iPhone wouldn't have Flash, so it pretty much disappeared then. And so that, as speaking of iPhone and uh, iPods, when did podcasting come on your radar? So I developed podcasts for an organization. I mean. It, it was still in my iTunes account. Uh, it was probably 10, 12 years ago. And basically what we did is we would film these keynote okay. speeches every month that were given by project managers in front of an audience of maybe two, 300 people. So it was a live event component. And then we would repurpose that into a podcast format where we had 
you know, like an intro and outro and, and um, really set it up in the audio format, but it started on the video side. So that was really my first kind of venture on the podcasting side, but I always was leaning more towards the, the video content piece. And, and I sold my previous agency to my former business partner, started motion almost five years ago now. And uh, we just felt that really this, combination between video and podcasting hadn't really occurred from an agency like ours. And, and that's really where we evolved to. So we kind of backed into podcasting almost versus okay. some people start with the podcast and add a video layer. We actually were all video and then we backed into the audio side. And so as you started to work on these shows for businesses, how much of the education was involved? I know five years ago, people are, are were aware of video for corporate, but but when thinking about video for podcasting, how much of it was education on your side, letting them know either about the opportunities, the potential, and different ways to think about podcasting than they may have already understood at that time? Yeah, education is a big piece to what we do on the marketing side. Uh, a lot of our content is really just aimed at first and foremost, helping our customers. And then we somewhat go upstream and try to get folks that might be interested in a podcast. But but you're right in the fact that when people say the word podcast, they traditionally think of the audio form. Yeah. And a lot of what we say, and we, we use this communication a lot in our in our marketing collateral, is that podcast is more than an audio channel. It's more than just putting up a an audio file, an MP3 file, you know, it's in an RSS feed and then it's on Spotify, Apple and everywhere else. We, we kind of view it a little differently where it's more of a communication platform and you get video content, audio and written content all from that, that same genuine conversation. And how much of it is when I'm thinking about those conversations that you're having and how you're taking them through that journey of like how to leverage it, what do they need to learn in terms of like different calls to action or how to incorporate the podcast into their existing marketing funnel, you know, things that they may not have been, may not have thought about or may not have understood how podcasts function in order to leverage, you know, the potential. Yeah. There's a lot you need to think about or when you're considering the visual and the audio component and you have to do that upfront. So what we do is we develop what we call a strategic action plan. And that's really where it, it outlines the blueprint for your show. So we tend to use the word show even more so than podcast with a lot of our customers. Cause yeah, it, we've started doing that as well. Yeah, it has a different connotation and it lends itself better to having a video component as well as audio and then all the other assets to come together. So that's what we do initially is we go through that discovery process, try to understand their broader marketing strategy. And then subsequently, how does or how will this show fit into that and how can it support some things that you're already doing really well now, but then also maybe fill in some gaps that, that you have as well. When did you get connected with the Squadcast team? So Squadcast, we started using Squadcast early on when we started to develop our own show as well as customers. So so we, we run recorded content, which is our main show in motion now, but we had a whole other show called Tech Qualify that we did like 300 episodes or something for. And we use Squadcast solely for that. And it was mostly audio before we, because Squadcast just had video, I think in January, February of this year. So we were just doing uh, audio piece and, and then our customers are actually asking more for the video component too. It's like, Hey, you guys do a lot of video and 
We, our customers are asking for video. We need video mixed in as a communication mechanism, you know, on our side. So we just had to, to figure it out. And so it was really uh, serendipitous because Squadcast was rolling out video on their side. And, and I actually had Zach come on, I think, shortly after they had rolled out video on Squadcast. So, um, you know, it was a nice time to, to bring him on. He was actually the first guest of our, our new show, Recorded Content. So, yeah, it was, it was a good fit. It was great timing. Yeah, I met the guys in 2016 and uh, started working with them. And they brought me on as their founding advisor in uh, 2018. And it's been really interesting to see just the journey, obviously, new competitors in the space, but also the the importance that people who are serious about podcasting are putting on the quality. And obviously, that speaks to the audio and now with the video. And I think you you could early on feel like you could get away with subpar audio and not even thinking about the video. But are, are you seeing this more and more that as you're having conversations with prospects or with clients, that they are aware that it seems like the 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 level of, of production is definitely getting better and better. Yeah, for sure. And that that's why we gravitated towards Squadcast. They just always have a commitment to that quality level. It was initially on the audio side for sure, but then the video is now a big piece of what they're doing as well. And it's funny that when I had Zach on uh recorded content, he mentioned that that uh time that he met you at, at the conference and how everything kind of started for him because they they didn't really they didn't have a podcast going you know he, he created squadcast out of this need for better audio quality he's like how does nothing exist other than <laughs> zoom so yeah, yeah he talked about that story and that that's you know one of the first times i heard about you so but yeah it's the quality piece is, is big because a lot of what we do downstream with on the post-production side with video if you don't have that good quality video in a raw format initially, it's it's much harder to work with. And then folks like you have that have been working with video for a long time, I'm sure there's been feedback you've been providing to Squadcast because I know they're they're open to that sort of stuff, especially coming from folks that know what they're looking for and know what, what to be on the lookout for in terms of quality and resolution and, and anything that might crop up when you're trying to, to record at this high level for this extended period of time. Yeah, Squadcast does a great job on the community side, which is also very unique, I think, to just a, uh, a technology company, SaaS-based company. I mean, they have Facebook group, they have Slack channel, they have consistent um, like Zoom meetups and things like that on their side that really just provide all this different communication and all these different ways that you can really keep tabs what's going on because they release a lot of updates and there, there are a lot of improvements that they're, they're putting out there. So they're, they're shipping all kinds of new stuff. And so, you know, you almost have to keep up with a lot of what they're doing on that side. And, and we have to as well, just because, you know, if there's a change in the UI or some functionality and, and our customers aren't aware of it. So we have to really be in tune with what's going on. And it's a lot easier for us to work with a company like Squadcast because we trust the information that they're sending out. So that way we can communicate to our customers. If that doesn't exist, it, it creates some friction there with the folks that we work with. Yeah. Be interested in your thoughts on the just the podcasting industry as a whole, because I've heard several times from folks that are new or that are coming in that are indie podcasters or companies moving into this space, the, the sense of community overall and obviously there's different 
uh, tiers or levels, whether you're indie podcaster or, or what we call the pro the procasters. <laughs> but I, I'm wondering what your experience has been because coming from other industries, for example, my partner is a photographer. She would go to photography conferences and she noticed a, a big difference when she would go to podcasting conferences in terms of everyone's openness to support each other, to share resources, to just communicate and, and collaborate together. And I'm wondering what that's been like for you as, as you've been spending more and more time with the community. Yeah, it is. It is unique in, in the way that everyone is so collaborative. You know, I, I came up in the video production industry, so I have, and, and I would say there's a lot of similarities there because on the, on the video production side, it takes a village to put a video together. You know, you need directors, producers, you need cinematographers, you have editors, motion graphic designers. If you if you're not able to work with other people, it's really hard to get to the finish line. And I feel like podcasting has a lot of that as well. You know, it's not as dynamic with all the, you know, video components and, and things layered on if you just have a, a true podcast, but there's still this collaborative nature that's involved. You know, you, you need to edit, you need to write. There, there's just, it's a creative process. And I feel like with a lot of creative projects, you're going to find a lot of that collaboration that's involved in that community aspect. And that is one of the things I, I really do like about podcasting. The competition isn't necessarily there. Even if you have a show that's it's closely aligned to yours and it, it has a similar audience rather than feeling like a competitor. It's almost like, Hey, how can we work together and maybe help our audience in different ways? So that's, I feel like is a lot different than other industries that you might see. And what's your overall take about where the industry is headed? You know, there's always talk about the seminal milestone moments in podcasting when Apple had the podcast app as default on the iPhone, obviously serial, <laughs> there's a Joe Rogan wave, there's various waves. And, and I think overall for industry, it's, it's very helpful when you see the Edison research report and you literally see for 15 years, the avail the awareness of the word podcasting of how many shows people are listening to on a consistent basis. I'm wondering as you track that, as, as you see that more and more, what your thoughts about are about where, where we're headed and the opportunities that are still out there. Yeah. From what I've seen, like back to earlier in our conversation, uh, you know, when the first podcast I, I rolled out was like 10 years ago. So it, there is this notion of podcasting is growing. It's a trend, but then there's also this component that it's been around for so long. I mean, how long have you been involved in podcasting? Like it's 2014. Yeah. 20, yeah. So a, a long time. And and I feel like it has been growing steadily, which is good because I think the medium is here to stay for a very long time. And you'll see different trends come and go. I mean, Clubhouse is an example where there was this social audio piece that was very big. And now we're seeing that rolled out into other platforms. And there are always unique ways to handle audio content. But but I feel like just genuine conversations as a as really the, the foundation will always be a part of either the indie creator or even on the business side as well. How have you grown as a podcast host, have, having podcasted for so long? You know, are, are there things that you look back and cringe at when you think about those early days of podcasting? <laughs> I'm always learning new things. There, I, For me, Twitter is very fascinating. I, I learn more on Twitter than perhaps LinkedIn. So I'm, I'm most active on those two platforms. I learn more on Twitter. I find new podcasts on Twitter more so. And I think the beauty of podcasting is you're, you're just never done. There's always opportunities to test new things. There are always ways to ask different questions. 
and different ways to assemble your podcast. That's one of the things that we're doing now with recorded content is we started with a very traditional interview-based approach. Then we've done like this co-founder series. So me and my business partner will develop episodes that are focused on a very niche topic and, and we'll explore that from our own perspective. And then now we're going to start rolling out what we call like these uh, reflection episodes where we go back and pull sound bites from interviews and we add a layer of thought and perspective on it, you know, as we look back. So I just feel like it's so creative and you, you just never stop learning. And, and that's really what's so fascinating about the medium. And what do you see that's effective for companies when they think about marketing? Because to the extent that they're willing to put in the time, um, as, as you very well know, like they could either just dial it in and just get the minimum done, get the episode recorded and out and let you, your team you know, handle most of the heavy lifting. But where are you seeing the most success in terms of collaboration with your partners and some of the things that you're trying where you can see that they're just as interested in the success of the show and are, and are going a little bit further than, you know, a client normally would. Yeah. I think there are definitely companies that just go through the steps and they just post an episode and they're on to the next one. The, the ones that we really see give value out of a podcast. And that could be anything from an opportunity, a sales opportunity to just developing relationships and so forth. The folks that do that have a very specific audience and then they have a very specific goal that they're, they're, you know, they're trying to educate a very specific audience and help them overcome a problem. And that's what we see from a branded podcast standpoint, what works best. Because if you go really broad and, and you just hit this surface level information from a business context, you're really going to bump up against a lot of similar shows that are doing the same thing. So we try to encourage customers to go as narrow as they can to where it's almost uncomfortable. It, it almost feels like it's too small of an audience. But if you start there and you get comfortable and you speak very specifically to these listener that's on the other side, then that that really helps you create more in-depth information that, that actually does provide some takeaways uh, for folks that'll help them overcome a challenge that they're having. And um, so I think that's one big thing. And then as far as uh, another aspect that increases success is on the distribution side. So it, it's if you can go beyond just posting it out there on your podcast host and rolling it out to Spotify and Apple, what else can you do with that? Can you repurpose it in a lot of different ways? Can you get the same information out to your audience in audio, written, and in video formats so that they consume bits and pieces of an episode and then ideally you know, land on, on the full episode, the 20, 30, 40-minute episode that you have in place? I'm assuming you've read Eric Newsom's book, Make Noise? No, I haven't. Oh, it's, it's good. Uh, it's, I mean, a lot of it, probably stuff that you're covering, but one of the interesting things he, he talks about is uh, having worked at Audible and NPR, he takes his clients to this rigorous, you know, planning and positioning phase. And one of the things he asks them to do is create a 10-word version of your episode, like description, and not to use any filler words like great or fantastic <laughs> or lovely, like, which is, is really a focusing exercise. And you think about that just, and I've been doing with a couple of uh, new clients recently. And it's, it's interesting because it gets them really like laser focused and to your point, deciding like how niche they can get to speak to a specific audience. And one of the things he also talks about, which is something you've referred to is creating 
these snackable bites or samples of your show and, and you know, to what you just alluded to, like the, the transcription, the audiograms, the snippets, the repurposing of text into uh, written form, you know, I'm sure you're doing snippets of the, of the video as well. I think we assume people consume the content in one particular way, but everyone has their preference for how they consume content. Some, you know, need to actually physically hold paper and read it, <laughs> you know, and some people are fine just listening and some people love the visual. And so I think speaking to creating content that speaks to all those, I think it is helpful. And it's an, I feel like it's an education process for clients as well, because, you know, they may just think there's only one way to distribute it and not realize that they're missing a bunch of other opportunities. Yeah. And, and Harry, before you, you came across this, the big, it's the big noise. Is that right? Uh, make noise. Oh, make noise. Yeah. yeah. Before you came across that, like how were you getting the folks that, that you were developing shows for? How did you get them to narrow in on that audience? It's the same thing to what you're uh, speaking to, because uh, I've been working with like a, a business coach right about the time I started the agency. And uh, he's, like uh, it helps you scale your coaching, but there were some a lot of things that were in there, uh, specifically this idea of niching down. So that's been kind of like ringing in my head since you know 2015. And they always say um, when you think you're niche enough, go one level ne- below that yeah. <laughs> because you're probably not going deep enough. I'm wondering what's the most niche topic you've come across. We did a promo actually for Squadcast. Okay. They interviewed a, a couple that had a dinosaur podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, they reached out to me. I think I'm gonna. Uh, we've been scheduling emails it has to be the same one is it <laughs> if I, it's in I that know same dino circle. i think yeah yeah dino yeah. hello dino yeah, yeah yeah fascinating there was another one that i came across I, I had a post on linkedin about it it was goodness it was like about salamanders or something it was something crazy I I like i've heard about that one as well <laughs> yeah and it, and i think the gentleman had I don't know, over a hundred thousand downloads over a period of a few years. It's just like, how in the world does something like this exist? You know, there's these pockets of just, you know, interested folks in very specific topics. And if you can find it, you know, it's great. A couple of years ago, I essentially did a, a thought exercise to see if I could create my own client. And I was, I had read Peter Diamandis' book, Abundance, and there was a chapter on vertical farming. So I did the research, saw that it was like a growing industry. So I launched the vertical farming podcast and I mean, SEO friendly, it's, that's literally the name of the show. <laughs> so if you Google vertical farming podcast, it's the first listing on Google and we have grabbed the domain. And then I started specifically focusing and, and I don't know if you're aware of it, but that's basically controlled environment agriculture where you're growing crops indoors okay. and typically using led lights, robotics, you know, automation. You don't have to, it could be everything, anything from a shipping container to just a, you know, hundred thousand foot square foot space and and there's a variety of companies in space but I, since i wanted to learn about the industry i focused on ceos and founders only for my interviews and now we're four seasons in every season i've had a sponsor for the show i had a sponsor before i even launched the show so but it just kind of, kind of just coming back full circle to the idea of like pick a specific industry niche the other layer that i added on top of it is to see was there money coming into this industry and was there people with marketing dollars to spend and when you see a lot of vc money coming in you know you can you know that there's folks who have marketing dollars burning hole in their pockets so and this was right around covid and i was asking them like what are your you know what are you paying for these booths and they're like twenty thousand dollars for these booths so you know i came in at about half that for to start off our our season uh, long sponsorship packages and, and they immediately took to them, which is interesting, you know, just do, just going through that whole exercise, building up social media platforms like three months before I launched 
So, and seeing the uptick, it's like the LinkedIn group we have on the group I created on LinkedIn for vertical farming now has like, I think close to 3000 followers. <laughs> so it's been fascinating. And just to, un- and this, and then now people are coming to me saying, Hey, can you enter in this journey to learn about vertical farming with you? And so I'm asking questions, you know, as a newbie sometimes, and I'm like, oh, for the benefit of a listener, Tristan, can you explain what that concept means? And it's, it's, been, it's been a really fun exercise. It's really resonated with people coming into the industry to want to learn about it. And companies also seeing it as a, a great platform to highlight the leaders of their in their space. So it's just on, on all aspects, it's been interesting. I still haven't figured out if I can replicate that, which would be fascinating to try and do, but it's again, speaks to niche. So that idea came from a book that you were, that you stumbled upon? It's a, it's called Abundance by Peter Diamandis. Interesting. And it's about all these future technologies. And I, so I, I love watching, like reading newsletters about future trends. There's a, a, a website called opportunities.so, I believe, which it's, it's a trends newsletter. And, you know, there's so many niche industries like solid state batteries, for example, like for cars. And, and if you think about it, if you created a show specifically like that niche and you did some research, so there's a couple of Venn diagrams that need to be happening at the same time, you know, crossing through at the same time. But is it an industry that's getting, you know, a lot of visibility? Is there a lot of investment coming into the industry? And, you know, if, if you made it that niche, we're working on acquiring sponsorship for a life sciences company as now as well, because they specifically, they're already having success with their show. So they're at the point where they can take the next step and start to look for sponsorships. So it's been, it's been fascinating. And I think, you know, you may have discovered this as well, but companies love the opportunity to talk about their services on shows that are specifically niche and narrow in terms of their audience and topic. Because you know, if it is a very narrow topic, you know that the folks that are on the other end, if they're invested, it's so specific that they have to be in tune with what uh, you know your company or what your or the services that you're offering. So it's not even a question of will I be able to reach some of my audience there. It's like anyone who listens to it will be related and and it'll have an impact there. So that's a great story. And I mean, is that the the only show that that is really? developed out of out of that uh just like seeing it in a book or, or how does that work yeah i mean just if you think about from uh concept to to launch i mean that was it's i mean i guess that's our our homegrown show if you will because we essentially just i had it as an idea and then thought about the first thing i need to do is start to build up a little bit of a presence on socials so i got vertical farm pod on on instagram on twitter and then um and then the, I created, like I said, the LinkedIn company page because it's been interesting because of the industry. A lot of activity has been happening through through LinkedIn. So now it has me thinking about like creating a weekly newsletter. I, obviously, uh, we know about Pod News, James Cridlin's inspiring daily newsletter, but I see that model, right? And I'm like, oh, interesting. Could I replicate that in vertical farming with the connections that I have that I've been building up? So it's been interesting to think about how to, you know, spin out something similar, but it's just been fascinating to see how that that influence from having the podcast as the base has grown. So now we do a weekly newsletter, Vertical Farming Weekly. And, you know, I'm always mirroring what James is doing. So I'm like, he's got pod jobs. I'm like, could I do vertical farming jobs? <laughs> and then the each one could be circular in terms of promoting. So 
you know, the podcast could promote the newsletter and the jobs board, the jobs board could promote the podcast and the newsletter and, and vice versa. So it's, it's been interesting and, and fascinating. And it's just something that's another side project because I never cease to think of new ideas, but I need to sort of standardize it at some point to get someone else to run it. Yeah, it's often the problem, right? You have a lot of ideas, but then you have to pick and choose which ones you execute on. But but I think you're you're hitting on an interesting concept that we try to get across too, is where your podcast can really fuel your entire content marketing strategy. And that's really what you're you're talking about here. You started the show in this very specific lane, but now you're branching off and building all these other layers of content that stem off of that. And that's interesting because people don't think about a podcast in that way. You know, once again, a lot of folks just view it as a, they're checking the box. It's a, it's an audio format, but you're able to use it as a way to listen to this very specific industry, folks that are intimately involved in this industry. And it's, you're like in tune with the marketplace. And then that allows you to to develop things from there based on what you hear and, and learn yourself, which I, I I don't think people put enough value on that when it comes to their own podcast. Yeah, I, I don't. They have it's almost like a leave no stone unturned mindset. Like when I started Podcast Junkies, I was still I still had my consulting job, so I I did everything myself. I mean, I literally from the artwork to the website to to editing to the show notes <laughs> to creating all the social media channels, creating all the social media graphics, tweeting and posting, like everything. It was me <laughs> booking the calls, having the interview, doing the follow-up, and then communicating to my guest afters. But all these things were great because I understood, like, man, I would love someone to take all this off my plate for me. <laughs> so that's how we started to build a done-for-you offering. But then having the podcast, continuing the podcast, keeps the saw sharp for me because I want to be the best I can be in terms of an interviewer. I always want to make sure that I'm learning new things about how to do better interviews, how to have better engagement with your guests, how to connect more, how to do a better follow-up. And all that makes me a better podcaster, which in turn helps me, you know, be a better coach and, and be a better, you know, agency for our clients because it's changing so much. And I think we've seen companies come and go in the space. We've seen almost every URL with the word pod be claimed already at this point. <laughs> but as my marketing brain kicks in, I've also looked at that. And so like a year and a half ago, uh, I started tracking all the companies in the podcasting space. And now I'm launching with a partner, the podosphere. So the podosphere.com is essentially going to be like a marketplace for the, you know, probably we're about 600 companies now that are directly connected to uh, being in the podcast space and just creating sort of like a Yelp, you know, uh, marketplace where people can come in, review services, give feedback, and then companies can claim a, a profile page and all that sort of stuff. So it's been, it's been fascinating um, because it's, I'm so connected to what's happening because I, you know, anyone who looks at James newsletter, whether you listen on the podcast or you read it daily, you just, sometimes they're just surprised. It's, there's so much activity happening. So many, some new podcast old is the latest company I just saw today. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's interesting. That the project that you're talking about, because you also launched, um, what was it like a podcast recommendation? Any podcast recommendation? <laughs> yeah. So, so it's interesting because I, I was always, I've always tinkered with technology and I've always been naturally curious. And so I signed up for on deck, um, which is a, it's almost like online education cohort. So they've got 20 different areas. And one of them is uh, no code, 
which is like using tools like no Airtable, Webflow, Bubble. There's like 40, 50 companies that are making it really, really easy for you to build sites without knowing code. And this was their initial cohort on deck, no code one. And so I signed up. It's, it was a, a 10 week program and they, they don't necessarily teach you the basics. They just give you overviews of it, but they help you come up, iterate ideas. And I was able to work on this idea that I had for the potosphere, which has been, had been sitting around and I, I almost had paid someone to create an MVP for me. So essentially what I was able to do is I pieced together Webflow, Airtable, a tool called JetBoost and Power Importer, essentially bundled it all together and came up with the MVP for the potosphere, which is essentially like a marketplace, like I just described. And so that launched and then it sort of stalled for a bit, but now I'm working with uh, Brad Nolan, who's previously been working on, a, on another startup called Podcave. And we're sort of teaming up together to get this launched now, which I'm excited about because it's been stalled for a while. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that. Yeah, there's just so many of these little needs that you you find in the podcast space. And I was speaking to any podcast recommendations, so I knew the no code tools, and I sort of had them, you know. And it's a really powerful skill set because I always wanted to learn code. I never made it past past basic, and maybe a little bit of Pascal, which is probably dating myself. Uh, <laughs> I learned COBOL in college, so that was dating myself. So. And I, you know, I used to play with Dreamweaver when that came out and learning how to build websites. So I always love to use the tools and jump in and learn. And, uh, but the beauty of no code is it's, it's works visually, which is the way my brain works. And once you start to get into the code, anything beyond, you know, a little basic HTML and CSS, and I'm just like, okay, let's leave this to the pros. <laughs> but I, I was, I was watching and we talked about being on Twitter and you just can't help seeing like any podcast recommendations, any podcast recommendations. And, and I'm just like, for real? Because when you first see it, you're just like annoyed. You're like, are these bots? I was like clicking into their profiles. Some of them didn't have photos and I was seeing how many followers they have. And I would have messages with like Brian Barletta and Ariel and be like, like, are these bots? Like what's going on? And then I think I must've had like an extra glass of wine or something like that. Cause I was just looking at Twitter and I was just like, is that domain available? And so <laughs> I grabbed any podcast recommendations and I'm like, okay, I'm only going to work on this like one day, like four, four to six hours. And then whatever I get done, I get done. Put some guardrails in place. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, KP, who's the director of the on deck, uh, no code program. He's always got this like, you know, ship it fast. He shipped like, he tells the story of how he shipped these 10 products over the course of like a couple of months. So I was like, okay, I, I know Notion, I know Gumroad, and I've got Airtable. So I basically kind of like bubblegum and scotch tape, pieced it all together. I pasted it into the Notion page. And that's what I launched with probably, and I think I did it in about four hours. And then I tweeted about it. And then within 24 hours, I got like uh, 10 signups, which was incredibly like validating because it's the first time I ever shipped something that quick, iterated and got compensated for it. So it's been fascinating. I'm a big fan of like Pat Flynn's smart passive income mo mode of working. And so it was, it was really, com you know, uh, reassuring for me to, to see how I could like take all the skill sets of stuff that I knew and put something together to create a need for it. So one of the folks who, who actually um, signed up, this guy, uh, Pony, uh, Paul, he and I have been working together. So he had some ideas naturally for how to improve it and kind of working with some other stuff and automation. So he's volunteered to help now. So we're partnering to kind of see where we can take that. So retooling that as well as a, as a side project. But I think I'm at the point now where this, I always want to make sure that if I do take on a new side project, I do have a partner. Yeah. It's <laughs> not solely on your shoulders. Right? Yeah. 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 Cause yeah. I have no shortage of ideas. That's, that's the thing. I'm curious, Harry, how do you feel about podcast discovery in general? Because obviously you have on Twitter, all these people asking whether they're bots or not. It, it's still an interesting question. How do you feel about it? 
Yeah, I don't think anyone's cracked the nut yet. And I think people still talk about like, uh, they're just replicating a version of what's existing on Apple. Like they naturally all start with the podcast categories. And I don't think I personally, that's not how I, I look for shows. I know people are doing it with the podcast apps. There's good pods, which is making it more social. So you can see what other people are sharing. But I think really, when you think about discovery and how I think about it, I feel like I need like a podcast is serving a specific need for me at that moment. I need to be educated or I literally want, just want to be entertained or I want something thought provoking. So I think about it in those ways. And I, and I think if sites took a more sort of inquisitive approach to figuring out what exactly you're looking for, like, you know, and starting from that, from that viewpoint and saying, are you looking for information now? Like, are you, do you, do you have a specific question you need to answer right now? Sort of like, I, cause you know, when you go on YouTube, how do I <laughs> right. start typing that? And you'll see what people are searching for. And when people go to YouTube, like they need something nine times out of 10, like, and they want to fix, you know, they, they're asking a question. They want something solved, like in the moment, like, how do I change the battery on my son's car <laughs> or something like that? You know, they're watching, looking for the video or the PDF that'll, that'll give them that. And I think I don't see that equivalent. I, I know there's a couple of companies that have come up like verbal recently, uh, which is trying to be the YouTube of audio. Another one, Odia, all these companies that are really hard to pronounce. <laughs> yeah. Don't really know exactly how to pronounce them. A-U-D-E-A, -A -A, like audio idea. That was their idea. They're trying to be the YouTube of, of, of audio. And I don't know if they get the interface right. I think it'll be helpful, but I think there's still a lot of room for improvement. I don't know that people go to Apple podcasts, for example, and start looking for, for podcasts, but we still coach clients on saying, make sure it's compelling artwork. So if, and when people are there that yours stands out. So you have to tick all the boxes. But I think um, a lot of times it's referrals or, or on Twitter, right? People are like, oh my God, like I just binged this. Like I just binged rabbit hole, you know, a couple of months ago from, you know, New York times. Like I love the podcast. I, I also love those sort of topics. So this interesting mix of like scratching my own itch. I have the availability. I have, I binged it. Cause I'm like, if I don't get through it now, I'm not going to get through it. <laughs> and there's a podcast for, I'm about to go on a long road trip. I just came back from California and moved uh, some stuff out of storage here to Minnesota. And that was like a three day trip. So I was thinking about podcasts, but I, I'm behind on my audiobooks, So I got through two of them, which are amazing, but it's just, it's, I just feel like it's almost like podcasts are situational. Like I wake up in the morning. I'm like, okay, I've got a couple of minutes. Let me listen to pod news. Or I've just been, I've created a whole section on my overcast called microcast. And they're all shows that are less than five minutes. And I've got two or three that I'm testing out. So just trying to build in a habit and figuring out if they're adding value or if they're just regurgitating what's already out there. stuff that I already know. I want to learn new stuff like from podcasts and I want to be educated on new stuff or be entertained and laugh at something I haven't heard before. So I think for me, I'm always trying to make sure I'm my brain is uh, expanding as a result of podcasts because there's a lot of dumbed down material on there as, as you might, as you, I'm sure you know already as well. There is. And I'm very similar in that way. Like, <clears throat> you know, some folks feel like it, people have like these five to seven podcasts that they listen to every week and that's it. And I, like for me as just a podcast consumer or listener, like I jump around all over the place, you know, I'll binge like a, a show that I haven't listened to for a while. I'll listen to like eight or 10 episodes and, you know, if I'm going on a long road trip or what have you, but I'm also always looking for new stuff too. you know, a new host or a new topic. And if I'm looking to learn about something or 
if I'm bringing people on my show, I, I try to consume at least four to five other interviews that they've been on. And those could be all kinds of different shows. And, and I think what's interesting, I saw today in a newsletter that YouTube's hiring someone to kind of take over how podcasts are presented on YouTube. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it, that, that's back to like your point where the, like the UI hasn't really been figured out yet on YouTube. You can't really distinguish if something's a podcast or not. They're all, everything's lumped together. So it'll be interesting to see how that, that plays out on the YouTube side of things. It's so funny because I came from electronic music, like house music background. I grew up DJing, like on turn, one of the, okay. some of the things I just brought over from storage are my turntables and my vinyl. And the first app that I created was called Know Your DJ. And I went to a podcasting conference because I, in, in January, New Media Expo, because I wanted to learn how to podcast so I could interview the, the DJs. So that's how, <laughs> so my foray into podcasting was through my love of like house music and electronic music. So it's, it, it's always been a, a passion of mine that that's, you never know which of the roads are going to lead you to the love of what, what it is that you do. I have a couple of questions as, as we wrap up. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? Something I've changed my mind about recently. That's a tough one. Uh, I could go back a little bit. So we maybe look at our own show. When we produced Tech Qualified, we viewed it as a way to bring on prospects, try to get to know them, and then potentially that could turn into an opportunity. And And I've, I've really just changed my mind on, on that probably over the last year, year and a half, where instead of viewing it as like this funnel for folks, you're, you're just have, you have a completely different purpose for your company's podcast, which is to provide valuable information to your ideal customers versus bringing them on and just chatting and then letting them go. So that's something that, that we work on with customers and that viewpoint has changed definitely within the last year, two years. What did you notice about that that was different or that wasn't working? Because I know a lot of folks and a lot of our colleagues in this space, they keep hammering home this idea of like, yeah, bring on your ideal prospects, talk to them, and they're magically converted into clients. Right. What were you finding? Well, I just feel like it, it's a, it's not genuine. You know, you're just bringing on someone to get to know them, which is, which is fine, but it's like, how how does this help your listener? Which I think it's two different things. It's like, if you go through the objective, just bring as many people on as you want, then you get caught in this thing where I'm, I'm just trying to bring as many people on the show as I can, because I want to see if they're ready to buy or not. And if they're not, uh, I may release their episode. <laughs> I may not. On to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the incentives are just misaligned. Whereas, and there's nothing wrong with bringing on prospects to, to get to know them, but I think you have to view it from the angle of, well, how will their story then help? a listener that is a prospect or a customer. Yeah. So it's like what information or what, what can our conversation, what can that drive to help someone else? So it's just a completely different uh, viewpoint, I think. What's interesting about that, Tristan, is that if you think about your energy and your intentions when you're having the conversation, it's almost like if you had someone who's an ideal prospect, you, you know, you, like you, you get your mouth watering at the idea of like, well, this person would be great. I'd love to have them as a client. Yeah. And what you're doing it's something I talk about, uh, this idea of having three people in every podcast conversation. There's a host, there's the guest, and then there's a listener. And in that case, like the host is so focused on the guest, you know, at the expense of the listener, because, you know, they're thinking about that and, and try as you, as as hard as you can to say you can do both things at the same time. You know, your if your intention is to connect with this prospect at the hopes of getting them as a client, 
are you doing the best job for your listener in terms of adding the most value and making sure that your your guest is delivering the most value to your audience so that they keep coming back and so that they keep listening to the show? That's right. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. You know, you're almost cheating one of those yes. three legs of the stool almost. Yeah. 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 What's, uh, oh, I'm wondering what, what's been working for you and what your thoughts are about how shows are shared on social because, you know, obviously the, the life of a tweet is so short, right? People like are zooming through Twitter and we know that because we spend time on it. But how do you think about strategically what you're doing from, from a marketing perspective on Twitter versus something like a LinkedIn? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this. And my thought <laughs> is nobody knows the answer. And what you have to do is test. You'll see tweets that, that are out there. I hate threads on Twitter. Some person will literally say they hate threads and they suck. Yeah, yeah. And then you got another person, you know, scroll up a little bit. They're like, threads are the best thing for me. They are killing it. They're crushing it. I get more views on threads. It's just like, no, you know, it, it always depends on the context of, of what someone's past experience is and, you know, even what their objectives are. So I think what we try to do with our customers is, are you, you have this genuine conversation that you create. Let's, let's really develop a structure for it and let's make sure that your audience is clearly defined and you know how you're trying to help them. And then every episode kind of has this in, you know, intention, right? And then from there you carve it up, share it out in so many different ways and let's see what works. Let's try new things. Does, you know, do captions work burned in? Do they, do we need to have a square format on LinkedIn or 16 by nine? Or there's just no real answer. And we'll have customers come to us all the time. They're like, the, you know, the, the quote cards just aren't working anymore. And then they'll have a post <laughs> the next day where it's like, I don't understand. That's the most shared episode we've ever had. And it's like, there's so many variables in play. Sure. You just have to test everything and, and constantly evolve too, because what you figure out now this week may not work three or four months down the road. Because you're at the mercy of these social algorithms, right? <laughs> For sure. Yeah, and they change it all the time. But what yeah. but what you can do consistently is just develop good information in, in the conversations that you have. Are you a fan of the trackable links, like chartable smart links? Well, I had Dave on uh, recorded content to actually uncover that a little bit and, and figure out when it makes sense to do that. And and based on our conversation, you know, you do need a certain amount of downloads to get some of that that information back with those clickable links and things. And for some of our customers, they're not even at that threshold to where it, it makes sense from an attribution standpoint. So did he say a number that made sense? Is it like 5k? Yeah, I think it was like 500 or a thousand downloads per episode. Like once you get there, then that makes sense. They have enough room to, you know, really gather the data that they need to, to overlay some of the stuff from uh, Clearbit and, and things like that. So, but I think it's good to track stuff you know, UTM codes and things like that, that you're sending off, um, that always gives you information, but I don't think that should always drive everything that you do. Yeah. Makes sense. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? I don't know if you ask my wife, that might be a different answer than the one I give. Let's see. The most, the misunderstood thing might be that, that I'm pretty patient. I mean, I think on, on the surface, I might look to be very patient but I'm, calm voice <laughs> yeah but i'm i'm extremely impatient i'm like type a and and that's really you know bitten me in in the past where i i just you know i, I don't like 
things that don't move, you know, quick enough. I, I like to to see some result, at least a little bit of incremental change so that I, I get some encouragement and, and move on. And sometimes I pivot too quickly. So, uh, you know, some folks might not see that on the surface. How have you changed the way you handle those sort of things? I, I know for myself, I've tried to build in a, a daily morning meditation practice that's, that's been helping. Well, you know, I think we, we went virtual. So motion went virtual about a year and a half before COVID. So timing. Yeah, we had um, an office downtown Richmond, 6,000 square feet, had all our employees in there. And then we, we just like completely changed our company to a virtual work environment because we started to work with people all over the world. And it's like, why are we doing this? You know, we're restricting ourselves talent within like a 20 mile radius. And it just doesn't make sense for where we're, we're trying to go. So we made that adjustment and, you know, it's, it's really helped us and helped me, you know, have more of a long-term view. So, you know, I'm, I'm able to step back and kind of look beyond like just next quarter. And I think, you know, as we went remote and, and we started to look more long-term, at our business that has helped me with my, my impatient nature where it's like, all right, I'm, I kind of feel comfortable now. I'm, you know, I, I do work from home and all of our employees work from home and, you know, we're able to take some of those breaks during the day and, you know, walk the dog for 20 minutes and I'm able to go to see anything that my kids are doing. I have three kids. They're always doing stuff and I, I can build a, a much better schedule around that, which wasn't possible when I'm, driving downtown and there all day and have to come home and rush, rush hour traffic. So it's been wild. Cause I've, I've been, um, I've had my the business since 2015. And then, then even when I was doing the consulting, I was still traveling a lot. And so I wasn't in a cubicle, but when I think back, you know, I, I, I was 20 plus years in corporate in like an office, like showing up at like 9am. And sometimes like I, I tell my partner, sometimes like those habits are hard to break because if I'm not at my, my desk here at nine, <laughs> I almost feel like a little guilty. I'm just like, oh, like, because, you know, in the office, your coworkers are there and you're like, you, you, know, you know exactly what time everyone's showing up to work. That's right. But I think it's really rethinking, you know, the, the idea of the 40-hour work week and the nine to five. And like, we don't all operate that way. And people have different sleep cycles and, and different energy path, you know, their, their energy peaks at different times during the day. And I think it's being more open to realizing that and letting people like work in their natural rhythms. And as long as they get the job done, I think it's been something that's been helpful for me to realize. And as, as you know, as we work with our team, but it's been fascinating to see the change and, and no bigger push into, into remote than COVID having everyone force you into it. That's right. So yeah. it's great to see that you got ahead of the curve. Yeah. Just lucked out in that situation. That's all I can say. Well, Tristan, the, uh, I, the time flew by when you start geeking out on all things podcast. <laughs> That's right. I'm sure that happens with every episode that you do. Yeah. It's just fascinating. There's so many interesting people doing really good work, and some of them are you know doing the same work we're doing. But I have an abundance mindset. Uh, the, this pie is so big. There's so many different slices of it. Just as people, you know, there's niches that you serve. They're different than probably ones that we serve. And I think in the day I have this mission of helping like a million people find their voice. And the more people that are helping 
people create quality shows and tell their stories because you know everyone's got a story to tell and i think it's just a function of like folks like us that can get it out of them because sometimes they, they they've never had a vehicle for how how to tell their story and so i you know i applaud you for all the work that you're doing congratulations on, on your success it's been great to to get to know you and have you as more than just the twitter handle that we engage with oh, no. <laughs> uh, remotely as well yeah, likewise, Harry. I appreciate you know having me on. Like you said, see you on Twitter all the time, and and I learned about you from from Zach uh, in an episode we did with recorded content. So nice to to meet you here in person. And we'll get to a conference soon. Uh, did you make its podcast movement? I didn't. Okay, um, it's on the radar. It was kind of on the fringe as to whether I would travel or not. Still haven't really done that as much. But yeah, hopefully next year things will, will look a little better. Yeah, I'm looking forward to if expansions, which is their sort of pro track in. LA in March, and then um, PodFest, which is another favorite of mine in Orlando, and then Podcast Movement, which would be returns back home to Texas uh, next year, which, which will be fun again. Awesome. Yeah, so, hopefully it works out. So uh, where's the best place for folks to connect with you and to learn more about Motion? Yeah, two things. You can reach us at motionagency.io. That's our company's website. And then if you like podcasts, which you probably do, if you're listening to this, you can check out our show for uh, B2B tech marketers. It's recorded content. Thanks again, Tristan. I appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, Harry. So thanks again to Tristan for coming on the show and sharing his story. Never, never, never take that for granted that people are spending a portion of their day to have a conversation with me. And I want to let them know that I appreciate it. I want you to know that I appreciate what they're doing. I appreciate you for listening, even if you're listening all the way to this point in the conversation, because sometimes this is where you hear like the standard <laughs> outros and you know, as a regular listener, oh, as soon as the, the interview is over, Harry's going to go into his typical outro speech. So I think what I'm going to do is challenge myself for 2022 to always make sure that I make it worth your while to listen <laughs> to exactly what's going to happen as soon as the conversation ends. I'll try to say different things, maybe bring you up on something that's happening in me, with me personally. Just a little experiment and always a prompt for you as a podcast host to be always experimenting with your show. You always want to keep your listeners engaged. You want to recognize, as I recognize you listening right now, that this is a journey that we've been on together um, some of you for many years and some of you just with this episode. So I, I think that's uh, really awesome and it really keeps me inspired to keep going. That said, tune in next week for my conversation with Jack Stafford. He's the host of Pod Songs. It's a unique podcast where musicians interview inspirational people in service to others and then produce a song inspired by the conversation. Season one, Jack did that all himself, which is amazing. Season two, he's working with other musicians. Uh, this conversation takes an interesting turn uh, towards the last third, which is really fun for me. So I'm not going to say any more. I'm going to have you tune into that Jack Stafford uh, next week's episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for our sponsor, Focusrite, for all of 2021. Dan Hewley, shout out to you. Shout out to the Focusrite team. Thank you so much for continuing to believe and trust and um, partner with this show. I truly am grateful for the experience and for your sponsorship this year. Thank you so much. Make sure you check out their full lineup of gear at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite. If you've ever been in the space for new gear purchase and you are a fan of the show, there's no better thing you can do for the host than to support the sponsors that we love and that keep the show going. So podcastjunkies.com 
forward slash Focusrite, F-O-C-U-S-R-I-T-E, to check out their full lineup. If you are in the market for a podcast as a business owner, you might want to sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co. That's my production company, and it's where we put all the hard work into making this show and getting it out to you on a consistent basis. So shout out to my marketing team, my podcast team, my audio team, my editing team, my scheduling team, all the folks that do all the different roles and all the wear, all the different hats. I really couldn't do this without you guys. So thank you. I appreciate you. If you've made it this far, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to go with uh, Tristan Motion, one word as the hashtag, and tag us at podcast underscore junkies and Tristan at T Pellegrino, and that's spelled T P E L L I G R. <laughs> T P E L L I G R I N O. There you go. I'll leave that in there as well so you know we keep it real here. <laughs> if you uh, want to do that on any of the socials, that'd be great. That's the Twitter podcast under Short Junkies. At the end of this long and winding road, I want to once again thank you for everything you've done to support the show, to listen to the show, to recommend the show, and um, hope you're all having a relaxing 2021 into 2022 New Year's. Some of you may have already started your festivities. I'm looking at you, my Aussie friends. Anyways, wrapping this up in a nice bow. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Love you guys. Talk to you next year. Thank you.